Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Bing West. Is that, is that, is that informal? If I call you Bing, that's the name you have written on the, on the book, but it's in, in Wikipedia, Bing, it says you're, that's your nickname. Bing, Bing is fortunately my name because when I was born, you know, I Catholics that I was born and called Francis Joseph and I was worried even at the age when I was first born that I was going to have to go through life being called Frankie or Franny <laughs> but my aunt just a bunny was the sister of St. Joseph and I was born this is long before you are you, you were even a flicker of a, of a gleam in your father's and mother's eye but um, but uh, in 1940 when Bing Crosby had made Bells of St. Mary's and he was Father O'Malley. So my aunt, who was a sister, uh, nun, she said, well, you should, he has red hair. You should nickname him Bing. And so Sister Bunny did me a great favor. And I've gone through life as Bing and not Franny. <laughs> hey, it's, well, I'm as Irish Catholic as Thomas Patrick Kerrigan. And uh, exactly. I, my mom my mom loves the name Francis and Oliver, and my dad wouldn't let her name any of us. So there's John, Charlie, Thomas, and Patrick. She would. She wanted. Oh, uh, well, you you missed you 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 you, you <laughs> missed you missed a good a good calling by not being called Franny or Frank. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, and yeah, I I had a I had, actually I went to and when I lived in New Hampshire, I went to St. Joe's Catholic. Uh, I think I was third and fourth grade. Yeah, and I had I tried to tell my friends in the South what it's like to have teachers that are nuns, Sister Lorraine, exactly, who who would literally yeah. hit us with rulers. And uh, now it's too. Well, that was that was just expected. I had <laughs> in the eighth grade, I had fifty-six boys in my in my classroom. Fifty-six boys and Sister Mary Francis. And by gosh, there wouldn't be a sound all day long. Otherwise, you'd get that ruler. Oh yeah. And you had to do well. I mean, it was just expected that you were going to do well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember I had I had a gold communion ring for my grandmother. And I remember my friend was like, mind you, I'm like third grade. And my friend was like, if it doesn't bend, it's not real gold. So I bit it and it <laughs> bent. And I remember I went and showed up, I went and showed Sister Lorraine. And she said, are you stupid? And I just stared at her and she said, don't answer that. And I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> but for everybody listening, Mr. Bing West, you're an author, uh, a Vietnam War veteran, if I'm correct, uh, Deputy Secretary yes. of Defense for International Affairs under President Reagan, if I'm correct, 1981 to 83. Yeah. Um, worked as an analyst at the Rand Corporation, wrote several books, which we're going to dive into all of them. But I chose, I listened on uh, Audible to Call Sign Chaos about Jim Mattis. And I knew he was an intense, intelligent man. Now I have zero doubt in my mind of that. But as someone who's not a military veteran who did not serve, it was very interesting to me to see as someone that was pre-med, that studied nonstop. I went to year, year in Hilton Head. I went to the University of Georgia, as I told you. Athens was the number it was the number one party school in the nation. But I studied all the time when I was there to get 4.0s. And there was a quote, and I, and I emailed it to you, and it's now 
It's literally now the background of my phone. If you haven't read hundreds of books, you are functionally illiterate, illiterate, James Mattis. And that, to me, that struck such an internal chord about what this this tactician, this brilliant man um, sees as a way to go about the world. I believe your line was, whether it was 10 decades ago or 10,000 decades ago, individuals go through their lives and then as a gift to future generations, distill their experiences down to a couple hundred pages. If you're not reading all of those and you're not getting, you're not increasing your subjective experiences, you're functionally illiterate. And I don't know why that that caught me so off guard. I guess I just had in my mind military bomb everything. And I didn't realize just how cerebral of a process this is. And do you believe in your experiences that there is a sort of ceiling to what one can attain in their own life before you have to, or not before, but that necessitates one to to read and broaden their experiences. I'm 30 years old. I only have so many experiences. Case in point, I can listen to a book by you about Jim Mattis and I can learn or at least attempt to learn what he has distilled into the to the important experiences in his life. And I know I'm rambling and I have a terrible habit of doing that. What are your thoughts on that? Is is that I know it's it sounds like a simple kind of softball question. Does everybody need to read? But could you go into that more? Do you believe that that really, there's only so much one can achieve with your own subjective experiences? Well, there's one set of people that can get away with not reading. And that's a professional athlete. (laughs) If you're a golfer, football player, you're going to get paid money not to read. Okay. Rest of society, if you're going to advance you have to read, period. I don't care what you're doing, because otherwise you're just locked into your own experience, which is trivial compared to everyone who's come before you. And what I said, I, I had been on battlefields for 10 years. Let me back up. I fought in Vietnam. My family has a tradition of going into the Marine infantry, four generations of us. None of us made it a career, but we fought World War One. World War II, Vietnam, Iraq, different Wests. And so when Iraq began in Afghanistan, and I had pretty much finished my career, I decided I'd go back to write, and I'd write the stories of the Marines in combat. So I went over. Um, I knew Jim Mattis. He was then a brigadier general. Then he became a major general, et cetera. And over the course of 10 or 15 years, I must have been on 20 different battlefields with him. And then when when he retired, actually he was fired by President Obama. Mm-hmm. He was a four-star, Mattis was. I was talking with him and I, and I said, you know, Jim, we should write a book about what you've learned about leadership by being a Marine. And we should write it for somebody who's in their 20s and trying to decide what they're going to do with their life. And we'll just go through what you did step by step in your life as a Marine, but we'll try to apply it far beyond that. We'll try to talk about what is leadership and how do you learn? And one of the things that I insisted with Jim when we got working on it 
We worked for three years, four hours a day by computer because he was then in Washington, the state of Washington, and then he was Secretary of Defense and doing different things, and I was in different places. And if you ever saw two Marines trying to get a book done, which took three years, you appreciate <laughs> The amount of effort that it went in, but we agreed on one thing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many um, things, but we agreed that what is a book? What is a writer? Well, it's somebody who spent on average two years of his life to have a four-hour conversation with you. Okay. And when you, any human being who sits down with a blank piece of paper and you say, give me your thoughts on something or other, the minute you try to write, you realize how difficult it is. Then think of somebody who, like Julius Caesar, he went through huge campaigns in Gaul 2,000 years ago, and he wrote about them. Herodotus writing about going all the way back to the Greeks and the Romans, and then coming forward, all the stories, all the histories, Every single book took years of dedication for somebody to get it right. And after they've done all that, they've spent, say, 5,000 hours so that you can read it in two hours. Yeah. And, and so Jim Mattis said, you know, anyone who doesn't read at a certain level, he's useless. Mm -hmm. He can no longer, based on his own experiences, he can no longer know enough to to continue to grow, and and I really truly believe that reading and it's so much more than television, so much more than movies. Reading gets you so you have to think; mm -hmm. you can't just passively sit there and listen. So, I'm a huge believer in read, 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 and I don't care what you read, because after a while your taste will change. You become better and better. And you learn more and more. Mm -hmm. And it's also, yeah, one, it's a never ending. It's, it's a, you're in a, you're a kid in a candy shop and, but it's an infinite store. You find one thread Correct. and you can pull on that and just go in that direction. And, and one, one thing always leads to another. I mean, if, if you looked at the different books I'm reading in a week, it's, it's I generally read one book every two days. You'd sort of say, <laughs> He's eclectic. He doesn't have, but that's not true. I'm kind of really interested in certain sports. I'm very interested in history. I write novels, so I really am interested in novels and how people can tell a story. I'm interested in battle and the military. I'm interested in politics. So you can jump all around yeah. and you can learn so much, oh, so it's, much. It's it's I, you know, this podcast should be sponsored by Audible for the amount of books I peddle on my listeners. But I mean, right now, you and I are talking about Jim Mattis. Earlier today, I had on Will Arkin, Army veteran. We talked about his book, Unmanned, all about drones and surveillance. Last week, I had on Howard Bloom, who wrote the book, How I Accidentally Started the 60s, who is the publicist for Michael Jackson. It's right. And 
like you said, oh, you're eclectic or you can't pay attention. No, to me, it's, there are lessons in, you know, it's like when you're a kid, right? And you're, you know, you have the nun teacher, but you're learning math, right? What are the math problems? If Bob has seven apples and he sells two, how many apples does he have left? Susie has three bananas and then she loses one. How many bananas does she have with? Kevin had, what are they teaching you though? They're teaching you math. It doesn't matter if it's bananas or apples or puppies or leaves or coins. That's how I look at books is it doesn't matter whether you're learning about the history of Jim Mattis or whether you're learning about what it was like to be Michael Jackson's publicist. To me, they're all just different facades behind which there are fundamental truths. You can look, you can read about World War I. You can read about the Berlin airlift. You can learn about this, that, and the other thing. But you find a consistent set of truths, just like mathematics. It doesn't matter which fruit you're using. You're, you're learning addition and subtraction. The more you learn, you can start to find these mirroring themes in all things. And kind of like the cliche saying, the more I learn, the less I know. I feel like call sign chaos kind of really hit that home with me is at the end as I realized, oh man, this guy that I thought had everything figured out. What does he say towards the end of the appendix? He was like uh, talking about reward or uh, military awards and how he thinks some maybe didn't deserve it, whereas others did deserve it that didn't get it. And he, he finishes his letter with, although I, I may have incorrect information or I, I may be incorrect and I may not have enough information, Jim Mattis. And it's like, there's the yeah. guy that ultimately is saying, humbly, I might be wrong. And it's like... Well, let, me give you another, let me give you the other example. Sure. Um, well, I, I wrote six books about Iraq and Afghanistan, spent years with the platoons from one end of those countries to the other. And then for the last three years, I worked on just one book, one novel called The Last Platoon. Mm -hmm. And that's it, The Last Platoon. Yes, sir. Because I wanted to tell people in a novel why we couldn't win in Afghanistan, what went wrong over 20 years, and why this was the longest war we ever fought, and why we couldn't win it. And so I tried to take 20 years I had spent on Afghanistan and, and put it into one book as a novel to keep people really interested in mm -hmm. seeing what happens to uh, a captain with a group of Marines, only 100 of them, and a couple of CIA agents, when they, they bump into the drug lords in Afghanistan and all hell breaks loose. But I meant the book to be a metaphor yeah. so that it tells you a story. It's a detective story. It's, it's about how people fight. But it also is indicating why our policy was wrong for 20 years and we couldn't make it nation out of Afghanistan. But I tried to do it, you know, very simply, but it took me two years to do it, just to tell a story. Yeah. Tell a story and, and leave it as a story. Yeah. No no moralizing in a story. This is what happened to the last platoon that I spent a lot of time with in Vietnam. And this is how they fought. This is how they died. Yeah. And well, I will have to grab that book and now you don't now you don't have a choice now you have to come back on a second time now we, now we have to go over the last platoon you 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 did it to yourself you owe me another one now i'll put that end with call sign chaos as always everyone listening i put the books in the description i'll put them in the top comment find them and again as i beat into everyone's mind i haven't recommended a bad book yet i challenge someone to tell me i have with with that if we could 
if we could try to pivot. So we're looking at we're looking at talking about how you need to read, how you need to learn, how you need to. I mean, again, if it's if it's Mattis looking back to like uh, like French mercenaries in '67, talking about how they got along better with the natives not when they used increasing force, but rather no greater friend, no worse enemy. Right. If we use all of that. And it's just this continual compounding. It's again what 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 uh, General Mattis said. Alexander the Great wouldn't have a problem with the war in Iraq. We think about like, oh no, there's drones and there's satellites. He wouldn't know what to do. And it's no, he he would probably conquer all the same. If we can extrapolate from all of this, including twenty years in the Middle East, and this is all speculation, but you are the master, so I'm going to ask you: Where do you see? conflict going in the next 10 20 years do you see us do we devolve into conflict with china iran north korea russia do we settle into a second cold war are we already in a cold war or can it not be known is is it just an event horizon of possibilities and diverging timelines can we not possibly know and i know i just put that intensely impossible question on your shoulders but i'm going to put you on the spot where do you think conflict is going where do you think the united states military is going and i know that's the broadest of all questions but well the historian toynbee once wrote no great civilization has ever been murdered they have all committed suicide and that is the threat is not external okay when athens fought sparta The problem was in the Peloponnesian Wars, the problem was that Athens was beginning to fall apart. When the Roman Empire finally disintegrated, it it was because it disintegrated. When the Soviet Union fell apart, it fell apart. They weren't overthrown. The greatest danger to America is America right now, in my judgment, that, that we've divided into two tribes that don't even speak to each other. I mean, I, I, I'm astounded to see that this continues. I mean, I thought, okay, part of this was was due to President Trump and being such a such a such a President Trump, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> and that it would go away once he went away. But it didn't. It became, it, if if anything, it's become worse. And and so when you ask me, is the threat China or Russia or something? The question I have is, who will fight for us the next time? That is, you have Marines, okay, you have an Army, an Air Force, a Navy, but what, what causes them to hang together? Okay. What causes them to be willing to go in harm's way? What, what causes them to volunteer? And gradually, can you have a society that really won't fight for itself? Let me give you. Let me give you the the, the, the classic example to me. Nineteen forty. Consider this. There's a great book by it uh, about it by, about it too called "The Splendor and the Vile." But I don't want to get into that. But Churchill becomes prime minister because Chamberlain had tried to cut a deal with Hitler, and it all came apart. Now suddenly, Great Britain is at war against Germany. In 1940, and is losing. I mean, really losing. 
And Churchill knows England cannot survive without the United States. But trying to get the United States to come into the war, he's in England fighting for his life. The Germans are bombing London. Mm -hmm. And for one year, Churchill is so strong that he kept saying, we will fight on the beaches. We will fight on the, the, yes, we blood, sweat and tears. They will never conquer England. Well, he, he, he had the entire country going with him. And only after a year did the Japanese hit Pearl Harbor and we went into the war. Now, let me go to the United States of America. Let's say 10 years from now. Who's our greatest threat? China. So what what is new about warfare? Well, nothing. It's it's if two great civilizations clash like China and the United States. What is the goal on both sides, if you're the government? What is it you want to do? Well, it isn't It isn't how many tanks you can put out there. It isn't how many aircraft you can put out there. Uh-uh-uh. It's how much pressure can you put on the other population that causes their government to say, okay, I quit, I'll agree to your terms. So it all has to do with the spirit of the nation. Just like it had to do with England in 1940. Now, England is being bombed in 1940, and they didn't give in in any way. Let me give you a scenario 10 years from now. I'll have left this earth, but you'll still be here, Tommy, so you're going to have to deal with it. Okay. We know the one way in which this war is going to take place is in cyberspace. Mm -hmm. We know it because we're being hacked every day. And... So you get in, you get into a, a fracas with, with China. And the first thing the Chinese leadership will say to themselves, if we cause the American public pain, they are too spoiled and they won't be able to take it. How do they cause us pain? Well, they'd be very foolish to drop missiles on us. Exactly. So what do they do? The first thing, two things they do is, they cut the financial services. So suddenly, all our plastic money can't be used. Suddenly, you, you don't have a bank account anymore that's reliable. You don't have stocks anymore. How are you going to have a medium of exchange? Because we don't have dollars circulating anymore. We're more and more cyber. And the other thing they do right away, they cut the electricity. Mm-hmm. They cut the electric power. Okay, electric power means... You don't have heat. You don't have lights. You don't have refrigerators. You don't have air conditioning. And and then life continues. But you're back to a subsistence level. Now, we do the same to them. Boom, right Mm -hmm. like that. My problem is I think that President Z or Commissar Z, who runs China, he could be calculating... Can they take six months of going without electricity, without money, without heat, so that they're all the way back to the 18th century, and that's how we're going to fight them? And do they have that spirit? That's the issue that I would ask, Tom. Do we have the internal spirit that England had in 1940? And I don't have to answer it because I'll have, I'll have checked out. It'll be up to you guys, your generation, to answer it. 
let's play let's play devil's advocate does and that's and that's a brilliant that's brilliant supposition because we would do it to them too but i feel like china a lot of it is third and second world uh level of development they would probably be able to hold out longer than six months they would wing that they would win the the digital war of attrition however could it be and perhaps this is just me thinking positively because i am 30 and i'm still going to be here i don't get to i don't get to get out of here is it that it would be similar to who who was that was it um um who who's the Japanese admiral that said, "I believe we awoke a sleeping giant." Oh, Hirohito. Hirohito, yes. Could it be that? Is that just me thinking too positively? Could they awaken a sleeping giant? Do they steal all of our phones and our toys? And do we just go? Do we take a bunch of lazy millennials like myself and say, "You know what? Let's go to war"? Could that be the case? Or well, are we too spoiled? Well, but wait. I mean, they're, they're ten thousand miles away. <laughs> so you might want to volunteer and I'm, I'm sure the Marines would say, well, welcome on board, Tommy. Um, but we're, we're not marching on China. Yeah. So uh, the war would be fought in space. The war would be fought in the air mm-hmm. and on the sea, but we only have 300 ships and it takes golly, it now takes us 10 years to build a ship. Yeah. So it, it, we'll fight with the forces we have. But that's kind of small potatoes compared to the fact that while this fighting is going on, you're still a country that no longer has the riches it had before. Yeah. And you're not, you know, and the Chinese are going to say, well, OK, you know, you've knocked out some of my Air Force. You've knocked out some of my Navy. But so what, America? You don't have electricity. So it'll, I don't know the answer. I don't have to know the answer. You're the guy who's going to have to deal with that. That's what I meant when I said, Toynbee said, it's it's not the external enemy. It's it's whether, whether your generation will have the spirit that the British generation had in 1940. And, you know, we, we love to say the greatest generation of Americans between 1940 and 1945 now we're putting a big quota to that because we still had segregation at the time, for which we're now deeply ashamed. So were they the greatest generation? I think in many ways they were, but you can't even say they're the greatest generation anymore because you're not supposed to even refer to history anymore because you're supposed to cancel out history because we can find out something bad about everybody. So we're not going to have any history. I mean, I think some of the stuff coming along is crazy. It's, it's you, you know, insane. let's not have a school named after George Washington. Let's not have a school named after Abraham Lincoln. It's I mean, a, where does it stop? It doesn't, you you it, see what I mean? It doesn't stop. It stops. Well, and then, then, I mean, then can you imagine, you know, we get into a fracas with China and a lot depends on the president, but the president says, my fellow Americans, we have to stand up. Well, what about if half the Congress and half the population say, you're not my president? Yeah. I'm not standing up. You see what I mean? Yeah, it's that's the problem you have. Yeah, that's that's why I'm checking out and I'm leaving you with that problem. Well, I will personally subsidize health care so that you can't check out so that you have to stay. <laughs> with us. And I'll be like, Bing, you're here with us. I don't, do that. 
I don't believe that stuff. <laughs> I will. I'll, I'll put you on a gurney and I'll bring you in a war with me. I'll play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll right. be the drummer boy and I'll be pulling here's, you along. Yes, here's, here's the last marine. Yeah, right. exactly. But so let's 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 take it from another angle. And I know I said I'd let you go at two forty. I know you got an appointment, so we'll wrap it up. But real quick, let's take it from another angle. If if you know what's there's a there's a great fiction there's a great fiction novel called uh it's called Black by Christopher uh, Whitcomb who was a former FBI HRT sniper and it's all about black ops and stuff it's a great fictional yeah, yeah. fun read but there's yeah, a, yeah. there's a quote in it there's this fictional guy he's the CEO billionaire and he find out at the end well he works for an intelligence agency it, it, it's great but he has this line he says the great pyramids were built with the bull whip and rye soup. Rome fell in the baths. If a nation dies, if it commits suicide, it doesn't, it's not murdered. Is China's greatest war with us to not go to war, to just let us go off into the sunset and decay? Is that their greatest weapon to not fight us at all? (laughs) The reason I'm laughing is, I mean, human nature does not change, period. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Therefore, if I said there aren't going to be any more hurricanes, you'd say, uh, "Bing, come on, give me a break." So, I'm not going to tell you there aren't going to be wars. Yeah. There are going to be wars. Yeah. It, it it is in the nature of the human being um, that the, the the character of the human being does not change. You, century after century there's there's no such thing as as a path toward enlightened human beings Uh, Robespierre tried that in 1790 before he went to the guillotine Um, we're born with original sin each of us struggles in this life and hopes he does the best he can Um, but history will remain with us and part of history means you have to remain vigilant for your freedom. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be given to you. Mm-hmm. So the answer is no. Z will never be satisfied allowing us just to ride into the sunset. Uh-uh. Yeah. He wants to change the world order in his favor. Yeah. Yeah. And will. we stand between him doing that. Yeah. So yeah. there's no there there's no out for America saying, well, we'll just become the Brazil of North America. Yeah. You know, that that's just not you know, as de Gaulle said. Brazil has a great future and always will, meaning that there are internal contradictions inside Brazil that causes Brazil to be a large country, but somehow it never gets its act together. That's not America. We've had our act together for 200 years, and we are a superpower. So it doesn't end easily while everyone else says, okay, we'll just let the superpower remain being the superpower. Yeah. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be challenges. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure your generation is going to stand up to them. <laughs> hey, I, you, there you go. You, you, hey, that's not bad. You must be working out a little bit. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, well, I mean, you you know, I tend to think just like my, my, my uncle uh, served in Vietnam, passed away several years ago. And um, I remember when my dad told me the story of when my uncle started dating my dad's sister. And their father, my grandfather, was a World War II veteran. And he came in and long hair. And he, you know, nice to meet you, Mr. Kerrigan. And he, he said something along the lines of, you're a punk, you're a hippie. And him being a Vietnam veteran said something along the lines of, you know, go shit in your hat. 
And from right there, it was a level of respect because he was like, okay, this guy's he, he he fought. He he's a veteran. He can see eye to eye with me. And it's easy for me to say this because I never had to serve. I'm 30 years old. I've had a I've had a life of nothing but opportunity and plenty. But I would imagine. I would imagine the fathers from World War One probably raised their sons saying, you don't know anything about war. Sure, you had the Great Depression, but you don't know what it's like to fight. I would imagine that a lot of guys who were 18 during Pearl Harbor were probably like me who were like, oh, no, how are we going to? And they rose to the occasion. Maybe I'm just thinking idyllically. I would like to think that no gener they weren't born the greatest generation. They became it. I would like to think we would rise to the fight. Will we? I don't know. I hope I don't have to find out. I would like to think we would rise to the occasion against no generation has ever thought the generation below them is going to do okay. It's always these damn kids and their rock and roll. But here we are, 240 years into the United States, and we're still chugging along. I would like to think that we'll rise to the occasion. Now, uh, I, I know I got to let you go. All right, well, I'll, I'll let you go. We'll, we'll get into it next time. I've got a million more questions from you. And I, Hi, Tom. Um, oh, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that you're going to rise to the occasion. Yes, sir. Absolutely convinced. God willing. All right. God bless and look forward to it. Don't forget now, this this book, Last The Last Platoon, Platoon and you know, th this tells the story of battle and how we fight today. Okay. I don't think we're going to quite fight that way. I think cyber is going to be a big one in the next one. Okay. Well, we tackled Call Sign Chaos today. I will download. I will download the last platoon right now. I'll go buy it. I'll read it. I'll email you. Let's set up a. Let's set up another meeting. And I'm gonna have to steal you for more than thirty minutes next time. I think we need a full hour for us to to battle it out. What a pleasure talking to you, sir. So it's fun to bounce ideas and intellectually battle. I think I got my ass handed to me. You've got fifty years on me on wisdom. I don't think there's anything I can do about that. But um, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. As I always say to the veterans I have on the show. Thank you, sir, for your service. I know that all veterans tell me don't say thank you for your service. It's cringy. But I say thank you because it's men like you that allow boys like me to enjoy the life I do. So thank you, sir. Until next time, God bless everybody. God bless America. Bing West, thank you, sir. Thank you very much for being on my show. My pleasure, Tom. All right. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. The recording has stopped.